You get to at least midnight. Thank you. So. Appreciate that, brother. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Well, we all had our belly ship, right? Now, you've been forewarned. Don't fall asleep on me. I know you got all those vittles in you. But if you do, I might have to call upon this guy here, right in the ear hole, and. No, I won't do that to you. But uh, we're going to make it uh, somewhat brief uh, today so you can go back home and you know, enjoy the rest of the time with your family. I mean, when you look at what's going on in the world, it's, it's pretty bleak out there. It, it's, it's, it's really bad. War in the Middle East, crime rampant all over the United States, New England Patriots 2-9. and nine. I mean, it's just it's bad. You know, it's, it's, it, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. You know, Red Sox finished last place again this year. It's, I don't know, the rapture has to be right around the corner. And so, um, but what I want to talk about uh, briefly this afternoon is when will this generation end? And you know, I, I hear many types of different speculations as to what a generation is in the Bible. Is it a number of years? Is it a time period? Is it 70, 80, 40, 20, whatever years? Well, what is a generation? So we're going to look at that uh, today. So I would encourage you to take down some notes. And you can also watch this on my YouTube channel. I have a YouTube channel, Dr. August Rosado. We have, wow, over 900-something videos on there. But this one particular one, you can go back and you can uh, check it out and uh, take down some notes. And please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Dr. August Rosado. And uh, we also have a Facebook page, you know, August Rosado. You can check that out as well. And uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go to my Facebook uh, page and visit my website, todayinbibleprophecy.org. And you can uh, keep abreast as to what's going on in the ministry, uh, what church we're going to be at next, and so on and so forth. Hopefully we'll get the Bible prophecy tours going uh, to the land of Israel next year. And please, we have a sign-up sheet out there. If you don't receive our free newsletters, sign up for it by giving me your name. Uh, your email address, and please print clearly, no cursive, okay? Print really clear so that we can get you into the database and get you right into the system. So what we're going to do is get right into it right now, amen? Because I know when I'm going to get back to the hotel, I'm going to probably worship St. Matthew's for a couple of hours. And so, but I uh, just wanted to throw that out there to you there. All right, let's go to the uh, Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 24. Matthew, chapter number 24. And uh, we're going to read verses 32 through 35. Matthew 24, 32 through 35. When will this generation end? What is a generation in the Bible? Well, we see here the words are in red. Well, that's signifying what? Well, someone's speaking here. And we know exactly who's speaking. That's Jesus Christ. And we would call this the Olivet Discourse. And here's the reason why we call it the Olivet Discourse. In Matthew 24, looking at verse number 32, Jesus says this. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see thee all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation, there it is, you might want to highlight that, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Let's pray this afternoon.
Heavenly Father, once again, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the food that we received to the nourishment of our bodies. Thank you for the hands that prepared it, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for the fellowship. Thank you, Lord, that we can spend some time together, Lord, to, to just uh, encourage one another, uh, edify one another as so much more as we see the day approaching, according to Hebrews 10.25. And we know that that day is soon upon us, the soon return of our Lord Jesus. And I'm grateful that we can sing songs that attest to that fact that Jesus is coming back. The world may deny it, and there might be some aspects within the church that will deny that as well. But Lord, we know what the scriptures say. Jesus is coming again. And it could even be today. So once again, Father, thank you. Bless those that are watching via live stream. And again, if there is someone here and they do not have that assurance of going to heaven, I pray that they would settle that by simply calling upon the name of the Lord and get saved. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen. Matthew chapter 24, as I said, is the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 25 is a continuation of the Olivet Discourse. But let's distinguish something here. Matthew 24 deals with the tribulation. Keep that in mind. Matthew 24 deals with the tribulation. Matthew 25 deals with the kingdom. Okay, just to put that in perspective there. Matthew 24 deals with the tribulation. Matthew 25, a continuation of the Olivet Discourse, deals with the millennial kingdom reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we call this the Olivet Discourse. Why? Well, because Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. One of our favorite places. Preachers saw that up close and personal. Jesus Christ is on the Mount of Olives 2,000 years ago where he gave this Olivet Discourse. He's there with his disciples. Now looking at the um, Mount of Olives here, over here would be the Kidron Valley. That's known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Mentioned in Joel chapter number 3, where God said he will meet nations head on when they come up against Israel. Over here would be the Church of All Nations. Uh, 25 nations contributed to the building of that church. Now to the left, of the church of all nations, just right there, is the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus was arrested by the Jewish and the Roman authorities. Over here, going up, would be the church of Mary Magdalene. It's a Russian Orthodox church. But when you go just a little bit over here, I'm not sure if you can really see it much. See where the arrow's pointing right there, that white object? That's a church right there. It's shaped like a teardrop. It's called in Latin, Dominus Flevit, the Lord wept. Because many believe that Jesus was in this very area, weeping over the city of Jerusalem, knowing that the nation would reject him collectively. Which is why he said in Luke 21, uh, 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen would gather her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Jesus wept over that very city. And then he puts a bullseye on the Jewish temple, the Beit HaMikdash. He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And that was fulfilled 40 years later, after he ascended from the Mount of Olives up into heaven. General Titus brought the 10th Roman legion in, sacked the city, destroyed the Jewish temple, scattered the Jewish people to the four corners of the earth. 
So the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, is where he gives the very first Bible prophecy conference in human history. It was also from the Mount of Olives, he ascended back up into heaven. Now, I'm not sure if you can see it, but right where the right where the J and the E of Jerusalem, that would be the area of the Church of the Ascension, where they believe he in that area he ascended back up into heaven, according to Acts chapter 1 of verse number 9. However, at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation, Jesus Christ is coming back to earth to the city of Jerusalem at his second coming. A.J. read it for us this morning, Zechariah 14.4, and on that day shall his feet stand upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east, toward the west. There shall be a very great valley. Half the mountain shall be moved toward the north, half of it toward the south. You ask any seismologist in Israel today, what is keeping the Mount of Olives together? Because they found a fault line from the area of the ascension going down into the Kidron Valley. What in the world is keeping the Mount of Olives together? That mountain should have split years ago. With all the earthquakes in the area back in the day, that mountain should have split years ago. Well, God's holding it together. It's only going to split when the holy toe of the Messiah touches it. Amen? Amen. And that's Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 4. So we know the Mount of Olives will play a major role in Bible prophecy in the not-too-distant future. When I go to Israel without a tour group, just me and another individual for evangelism purposes, uh, we stay at the Dan Hotel. And uh, we walk out to the balcony of the Dan Hotel, and as I sit down, boom, there it is right there. Mount of Olives. And I'll just sit there on the balcony, and I'll just look at the Mount I'll just stare at the Mount of Olives for like minutes on end, man. Because I, can, I, I try to picture in my mind's eye the Messiah coming back at his second coming, riding on a white horse. An army is following him, and that's you, by the way. And when he comes back, his feet will touch that very mountain. Look at the, uh, the foreground right there. See this? Look at this. What does that look like to you? They're graves. They're graves. Jews and only Jews can be buried on the Mount of Olives. When that late terrorist Yasser Arafat died, he requested to be buried on the Mount of Olives. You know what the Israeli government said? Ain't gonna happen, Captain. <laughs> only Jews are buried on the Mount of Olives and they can be buried from 50,000 shekels upward. Quite a bit of money to be buried on the Mount Why? Because of Zechariah 14, 4, they know the Messiah will one day come to the Mount of Olives. So again, Matthew 24 deals with the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. That's Daniel 9, 24. Matthew 25, a continuation of the Olivet Discourse, deals with the kingdom. But I got to say, folks, out of all the misunderstood passages in Scripture, Matthew 24 has to be the most... Uh, misinterpreted and misunderstood passage today. But it must be looked at in context and in light of other parallel passages. We know that even this word is misunderstood. This generation, Jesus mentioned that in verse 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So the word misgeneration is solely misunderstood. It is misapplied today. And, you know, people love playing the, what I would call the spiritual lottery game. They try to play the spiritual numbers game to try to pinpoint the day and the hour of the rapture of the church. You can't do that. You can't say, well, you know, if you take 1948 and then you take 1967 and you add 40 years, which they believe is a generation, well, then that would be the end 
of the world. You can't do that. Why? You can't put a date on the rapture. There are no signs that precede it. And there are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled. So we need to avoid these, these spiritual numbers games. Why? They go against the scripture. Amen? You know, playing mystical number games and, you know, these so, remember the so-called Bible codes? Nobody talks about Bible codes anymore. But back in the day, they were laughing their way to the bank, writing books on Bible codes. You know, you look at these secret little hidden Bible codes in Scripture. That's just absolute nonsense, amen? Let me give you an example. Well, August, Israel became a nation, 1948, May 14th, 1948. Well, August, think about it. Take 1948 and add 40 years. Notice the quotations there. 40 years, which they believe makes up a generation, and then the, that will be the end of the world. The end of the world. Well, if that was the case, the world should have ended in 1988. Did it? No. They'll do another one. August. Uh, in 1967, the Six-Day War, Israel captured East Jerusalem from the Jordanians, and now Jerusalem is in the hands of the Israelis after 2,000 years since the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. August, think about it. Take 1967. Add 40 years, which is a generation, and then that will be the end. Well, then the end should have came in 2007. And what year are we in? 2023. That's my point. Stop playing these silly little numbers games. They just don't go, I mean, they go against the word of God, amen? We have to avoid that at all costs. And what I try to emphasize repeatedly, there are no signs that precede the rapture. There are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled. Listen, folks, the rapture is imminent. Let me give you a definition of imminency. Look at the screen right there. This is imminency in a nutshell. We cannot, we cannot count on a certain amount of time transpiring before that imminent event happens. So you can't say, well, August, the temple has to be rebuilt and then the rapture is going to take place. You don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Or the August, that has to take place, and this war has to happen, and that event. No. The rapture could happen without anything having to be fulfilled. That's what imminence or imminency means. It's something hanging over your head, boom, ready to overtake you. That's the rapture of the church. That could happen at any moment, at any time, without any prophecies or any signs preceded. There are no signs before the rapture. But in the tribulation period after the rapture, you've got signs galore. Signs galore, but not before, ladies and gentlemen. So that's why I say we have to, uh, you know, avoid uh, the drama, the hype, the sensationalism that comes with the abuse of Bible prophecy. In verse number 32, Jesus uses the parable of the fig tree. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put it forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. And we know Israel is referred to at times as the fig tree. I know this based on Hosea 9.10 and Joel chapter 1 and verse number 7. When the fig tree begins to bloom, well you know that summer is near, Jesus said. When the flowers begin to bloom, well, you know that spring is near. When the leaves begin to form on the tree, summer is right around the corner. So what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is using nature to communicate 
an eschatological, absolute prophetic truth. Amen? Now, we know that Israel is back in the land, but here's the problem. They're back in unbelief. Not in belief. They are back in... A, the nation as a whole is still in unbelief. That's what Paul said. Romans 11.25. Again, Paul tells us, don't be ignorant about it. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness and part has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Israel's back in the land as promised by God, uh, but they are back in unbelief. And that has been the case since the Roman destruction of Jerusalem by General Titus with the 10th Roman Legion in the year 70 AD. Since 70 AD, the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth leading up to May the 14th of 1948. They're back in the land. They're back in unbelief. And that must be the case. They must be back in the land in unbelief in preparation for the final week. One week. The 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. That final seven-year period of tribulation to come. As I said this afternoon, the tribulation period is threefold. Number one, Jesus Christ, at the end of the tribulation period, will crush all Gentile world powers. Number two, he will bring Israel to faith in him as Messiah and Savior. And number three, he will destroy the satanic trio of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. That is the purpose for the seven-year period of tribulation. Let's look at a parallel passage here. Let's look at Luke chapter 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let's go to Luke 21. Look at a parallel passage here. Always good to use parallel scripture because they give you more information. Luke 21, and we're going to look at verse number 29. Luke 21, and we'll look at verse number 29. Luke 21, verse 29. I read 29 verse, uh, through 32. Luke 21, beginning at verse number 29. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree, but look what else he includes. Not just the fig tree. All the trees. Now, now he's including all the trees. See, Matthew leaves that information out. Luke fills that in for us. Okay? The fig tree will be Israel, and now all the trees. You can throw all the nations in there now. Behold the fig tree. And all the trees, when they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. It's near. So likewise, ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom. See, Matthew doesn't mention the kingdom up until you get to chapter 25, but not in chapter 24. He says, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, here it is again, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. The Lord again uses the ecosystem, learn the parable of the fig tree and all the trees, and he's using a meteorology to communicate an absolute prophetic truth here. The ecosystem, the fig trees. Meteorology, know that summer is now nigh at hand. What Jesus is saying here, folks, is that the generation that will experience the seven-year period of tribulation, the apocalyptic events foretold in Daniel and Revelation, they will not pass away until all those things are fulfilled. Let's look at a, um, an example here. Jesus here, when he's confronting the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 and 3. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempted and desired him 
that he would show them a sign from heaven. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.22, the Jews require a sign. You know, if you're really the Messiah, prove it to us. Jesus said, I didn't have to prove nothing to you. All you had to do was read the messianic prophecies that clearly point to me. You ain't getting a sign. Look at verse 2. He answered and said unto them, when it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites. Yeah, Jesus calls them hypocrites. Oh, ye hypocrites. Ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? Jesus said, paraphrasing, you know, you can make pretty good weathermen. You can tell when there's going to be good weather or bad weather, but you can't even tell when the Messiah is here. I'm here, man. I'm the prophesied Messiah, and you can't even see that. Why? Because you got your nose in books of tradition rather than in the authority of the Word of God. You fly LL Airlines, Israel's official airlines, they're filled with Hasidic Jews. You know, the guys with the black hats, long jackets, the pious, the long curls, and the whole entire 10 hours that you're flying to Israel, study, that's all they do, study, 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 study. But it's not the Bible. They study Talmud. They study rabbinic commentary. They study and read out of the Siddur, the prayer books. But I never, ever, ever once see them hold a Bible. Not once. You can walk into these Hasidic stores in Jerusalem. I don't see any Bibles there. No Bibles at all. But I see scores and scores of rabbinic commentaries. The Talmud, the Mishnah, and the Gemara. That's not the Word of God. That's rabbinic tradition. Tradition will send your soul to a Christless hell. It's not tradition. It's Jesus Christ. And not once, not once will I ever see them read out of a Bible. They're, and that's what Paul says, that they're ignorant of the Scriptures. The signs that we're reading about there in Matthew 16 are not eschatological, but they are first coming prophecies fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah in the first century A.D. You know something? Israel dropped the ball. Fast forward, 2,000 years later, they're still dropping the ball. They still reject Jesus as the Messiah. But that's only temporary, amen? As I said uh, you know, during the second service, we're living in the perilous time stage. That 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul said this though also, in the, la in the last days, perilous times shall come. We've been in the last days for the past 2,000 years. The birth of Jesus Christ initiated the last days. We know that based on Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And these last days has spoken to us by his son. So Jesus' birth initiated the last days. We've been in the last days for the past 2,000 years. You say, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. It's intensifying. It's getting darker. It's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse and worse. I know one guy who's a preacher who says, oh, brother, he's out of South Carolina. He said, hey, you know, Brother August is right. It's going to get worser and worser. <laughs> I know it's bad English. <laughs> it's bad. It's going to get worser and worser. Well, I know where he's coming from. Yeah, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Uh, the late Adrian Rogers put it this way. The world is growing gloriously dark. Why would he say that, the late Adrian Rogers? Because the darker it's getting out there, brother, the brighter it's becoming for us. Jesus is coming back. That shofar could sound at any moment. 
So we're in the perilous time stage. We are in the last days. And the last days of the church age will come to an end at the rapture of the church. And when the rapture takes place, it will put an end to 2,000 years of church age history. And then the last days will transition over to the end times. That would include the seven-year period of tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the 1,000-year millennial kingdom reign, but stops at the great white throne judgment when Jesus Christ will judge every unbeliever that is in hell right now, will be summoned out of hell, stand before him at the great white throne judgment, and then at the great white throne judgment will be cast into the lake of fire. That's another message for another time. So this begs the question, what is a generation? Now, some would love to use Psalm 95 verse 10 to prove that a generation is 40 years. But I want you to look at that verse very carefully. You tell me if it says a generation is 40 years. I'll read it for you. 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said it is a people that do not, uh, that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Now look at that verse carefully. Does it actually say a generation is 40 years? No, obviously it doesn't. If I may paraphrase, all God is saying is, for 40 years these Israelites have given me a royal headache. <laughs> That's all God's saying there. For 40 years they threatened my servant Moses, threatened to stone him, threatened to kill him. For 40 years all they've done is rebel, rebel, rebel. Until finally I had to kill off that generation, had them wander in the wilderness, and then I allowed a new generation to enter into the land of milk and honey. Psalm 95 verse 10 is not proof that a generation is 40 years. All God is saying is for 40 years I put up with the rebellion of these very people. Now, if we look at that word closely, okay, we look at the word generation in Hebrew, uh, look at the Hebrew word right there, door. Not D-O-O-R as we walk into, but D-O-R. Dor is a biblical town in Israel. It was one of King Solomon's uh, fortresses during his reign. If you go on my YouTube channel, we just recently did a Bible study at Biblical Dor off the coast of the Mediterranean. Now, that word Dor there, look at the three Hebrew consonants, Dalit, Vav, Resh, read in Hebrew, right to uh, left. Dor would imply in Hebrew... A race. Now, if we look at it um, in the Greek, okay, we look at it in the Greek, the word right there in the Greek is ganea. Ganea. G-A-N-E-A. Ganea. It comes from the root ganos. G-A-N-O-S. And do you know what that implies? Ganea? Race. Kind. Family, breed, stock, this kind of people. Not to a number of years, it's referring to a family, to a race, to an ethnicity, a breed, this stock of people. What Jesus is telling us is that this family, this stock, this race, this breed, this kind of people will not pass away until all these apocalyptic events are fulfilled, leading up to his second coming back to this earth. And that's what Matthew 24 deals with, the tribulation and the second coming. This family of the earth will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. 
So it's not 80 years. Generation is not 70 years. Generation is not 40 years. It's a breed of people. It's a kind of people. It's an ethnicity. It's a stock. It's a race. It is a breed. So if someone starts playing these little numbers game with you, oh, Brother Gangberg, take 1948 and add 40 years. Doesn't fit, man. Actually, if you want to get technical as to what a generation is, let me turn to Job. Now, you look at this verse right here, Job chapter 42 and verse number 16, the very last chapter of the book of Job. You do the math on that verse, okay? Look at this. After this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. Now, you take 140 divided by four, it comes out to 35. Technically, a generation in the Bible, if you want to get technical about it, is 35 years, not 40 years. So people can't use Psalm 95 verse 10 and say, well, it proves right there. It's four. No, just go to Job 42, 16. It's actually 35 years. But even in this case right here, it's not referring to a length of time. Dor in Hebrew, if you were to say generation to generation, you would say in Hebrew, dor lador, or ganea, from ganos. Race, breed, stock, this kind of people. This race of the human earth will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. And then Jesus Christ will establish his kingdom from the holy city of Jerusalem. It's amazing that when you fly away, there you go. It's amazing when you look at the scriptures for their plain sense interpretation, comparing scripture with scripture, everything falls into place. And you avoid the hype. You avoid the drama. I don't want to get my face on the front page of Christianity today. I want nothing to do with that magazine anyway. Amen? I don't want to be politically correct or politically incorrect. I just want to be biblically correct. Amen? I just want to stay within the bounds, the perimeters of the scriptures. When I teach Bible prophecy, I want to teach it responsibly, not irresponsible. And when you go to like YouTube or even Christian TV today, oy vey, man, they are just coming up with all kinds of wild suppositions and speculations and, and so on and so forth, folks. We need to avoid that at all costs. That's why Jesus said, I mean, can, how can he be more clear than this? But of that day and hour, knoweth no man. I mean, that's clear, right? That's cut and dry right there. But of that day and hour, knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus didn't say, well, if you look closely at those scripture codes, you're going to find hidden meaning between these verses. You know, there were no verses back then. And uh, you'll be able to pinpoint when I'm coming back. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say to look for some type of hidden codes in the scriptures. He doesn't say that if you play the mathematical equation, then you're going to pinpoint my day and my... He doesn't say that. He made it clear right there. No man knows the day and the hour. Now, Paul said we can know the times and the seasons. He made that clear in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. And he's talking to you, by the way. He says, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For ye yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Then he's addressing the world. When they, not you, when they shall say peace and safety then. There it is. Sudden destruction cometh upon them, not you, them. When I say them, who am I talking about here? 
Unbelievers. Unbelief in Israel. Unbelief in Gentile nations of the world. When they shall say peace and safety then, boom, sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. I'm here to tell you, you will escape. I had a guy tell me one time, escapism isn't biblical, Brother August. You need to stop teaching escapism. You just don't want to go through a little tribulation period. Well, duh. <laughs> These guys have like a suicide complex or something. How can you look me in the face with all seriousness and tell me escapism isn't biblical? I beg to differ. Jesus said in Luke 21, 36, Watch ye therefore, and pray ye always, that you may be counted worthy to escape. Read your Bibles, man. All these things, the tribulation period, that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You and I are going to stand before the Son of Man. You have a face-to-face -face interview with the King of the Jews, whether you like it or not. You know what we call that? The Bema. The judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 14.10, Romans 14.12, 1 Corinthians 3.11-15. You and I have a date with Jesus Christ. Pastor's not going to be there to hold your hand. You know why? He's going to have his plate full. He's got double accountability. You know why he's got double accountability? He's the other shepherd, man. He's the pastor. So he has double accountability. That's what he preaches behind his pulpit. I have double accountability. That's what I'm preaching. Behind his pulpit, I'm going to have to give an account to him as to what I'm saying today. You will have to give an account as well. But listen, people say, well, why am I going to be judged, August? I mean, I'm saved. Well, I'm saved too, but we're still going to be judged. But it has nothing to do with your sin. You know why? Your sin was judged at the cross. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And our salvation is sealed, man. Sealed unto the day of redemption. So what's the purpose of the judgment seat for the Christian? To determine reward. You might get one crown, two, three, four, or maybe even five crowns, man. But what you do now, and make sure your motives are genuine, what you do now determines what reward you will get at the Bema. That's for the born-again believer. But there's another judgment for the unbeliever. That's the great white throne judgment. That's Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15. And at the great white throne judgment, the final destination for all unbelievers is a lake of fire called the second death. I heard a preacher put it this way. If you're born once, you will die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. Now that'll preach all day right there, amen. That's why Jesus said in John 3, 3, John 3, 7, ye must be born again. Ye must be born from above. Well, I know this. When Jesus Christ returns at his second coming, you are looking at your future home. You will live in Israeli for 1,000 years. The beautiful, holy city of Jerusalem. There's the Temple Mount right there. That's the site where the first and second Jewish temples once stood. Today, the Muslim shrine of the Dome of the Rock is there. Here we see the Eastern Wall and the Kidron Valley over here. When Jesus Christ returns, he's going to bust through that Eastern Gate, man. Ezekiel 43, 1 through 3, and he's going to establish his kingdom from that very city 
for 1,000 years. And just as, if you're on the Mount of Olives, and as the sun is going down, the whole city lights up like gold. Like gold, man. And there's a song that they sing in Israel. It's called Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. And they sing it like this. Yerushalayim Shel Zahav Jerusalem, the city of gold. Let me be a violin unto all your songs. The very city that Jesus said in Matthew 5.35 is the city of the great king. Because the king of kings will reign from that very city in the millennial kingdom to come. And that's why he said in Luke chapter 21 and verse 31, So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, verse 32, this, if I may paraphrase, this race, this breed, this stock, this family, this kind of people will not pass away until all these apocalyptic events, events are fulfilled. And then he will establish his kingdom from the very city that you are looking at right now, folks. So like I see, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Jesus Christ will one day come to right the wrongs of men. He is going to destroy all corrupt governments. Yeah, including this government. He's going to destroy all corrupt governments. He's going to destroy all Gentile world forces as we know it. And he's going to establish a divine, Davidic, theocratic kingdom from that very city you're looking at right now. Your home in the kingdom to come. And his judgment will be perfect. Perfect justice. So folks, what am I telling you in closing? Everything that we see happening right now, man... It's in lockstep with scriptures. Could we be that generation? This race? This breed? Is that me? I think the mic might be dying. I don't know. This stock? Could it be us? It's a possibility, folks. But what I do know is that that generation won't pass away until all these events in the book of Revelation are fulfilled. But before that can happen, that happens first. No signs precede it. No prophecies have to be fulfilled. For the Lord himself. He didn't say, I'm going to send Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to pick you guys up. For the Lord himself. He didn't say, I was going to send Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to get you guys. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. Now, you know I like tooting my own horn. That's just who I am. I blew the ram. I don't want to burn myself. <laughs> oh, there was a delayed response. Okay. <laughs> now I'm going to blow my Yemenite shofar. I got this one in 2010 in Jerusalem. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, shofar, trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain, caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another 
with these words. Doesn't get any better than that, folks. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if they're in the church or outside the church. Jesus Christ is coming back. Those are comforting words. Don't let anybody rob you of your blessed hope. I don't care who they are. Don't let anybody rob you of that blessed hope. That's why I am pre-trib. Not mid. I'm not post. I'm not pre-rap. I don't eat post cereal. I won't fly Midway Airlines. I'm pre. Pre before. Before the final 70th week. Keep looking up. Keep your ear hole on. Come up hither. Revelation 4.1. That's it, brother. Boom. New knees and all. Boom. We're out of here. He's going to take us to the Father's house. And help me. Help me now. And when he takes us to heaven, stay. We will be there for <laughs> a very brief, <laughs> very brief seven years. While the earth below goes to a terrible, awful, horrific seven-year period of tribulation. The late Dr. Jimmy DeYoung put it this way. And we're seeing it right now, by the way. When you see the signs for Christmas appearing in your department stores, you know that there's another holiday that's even near it, even though it's past Thanksgiving. When you see indications that a seven-year period of tribulation is on the horizon, something else is even nearer. The rapture of the church. No signs, no dates, no prophecies precede it. It's imminent. It's hanging over our head, ready to overtake us. That could even be today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, once again, Lord, we look at the scriptures for their plain sense interpretation. We look at these parallel passages, Lord, that give us a little bit more information than the previous. And Lord, this is indicating to us that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Everything seems to be moving in that direction. We don't know the day and we don't know the hour. But as Paul said, we can know the times and the seasons. And that's the perilous time stage that we're in right now. And what we are seeing, those 19 characteristics between verses 1 through 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is showing us that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. I know the world will deny that. Even some within the church might deny that. But Lord, your word is the final authority. And we believe every jot and tittle of this, of this scripture. So Lord, I'm praying that until then, whatever little time we have left, help us to redeem that time knowing that the days are evil, according to Ephesians 5.16. And knowing that our redemption is so nigh at hand, Ephesians 4.30. Help us, Lord, to win the lost, to be a light, because there is a war. A war in the physical realm and a war within the spiritual realm. And we know, Lord, what Paul said, 
that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The God of this world is getting into position for that final apocalyptic attempt, Lord, to wipe out Israel and to destroy as many souls as possible. So, Father, thank you for what you're about to do now, and thank you for our time here at Calvary Baptist Church. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Preacher. If there's anyone who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ is a personal Lord and Savior, don't leave your name until you get straightened out. You may miss it sooner than you think. For our home viewers as well, if you made a decision, you need to talk to someone, feel free to give us a phone call. Write us a note so we can set up some sort of a dialogue mm -hmm. and share with you from the scripture. No beyond any shadow of a doubt. And if you were to die today, you'd go to home in heaven. How many learned something new today? You learned something new. Something you didn't know before. Well, he has a whole lot of knowledge to share with us. <laughs> and so we're going to have to definitely have him back very soon. So I would encourage you. If you need to talk with Brother Rosado or myself, see us after the service. We'll take the time to talk with you about it. Again, Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together today. And Lord, what a wonderful book you have given yes. to us. Lord, all the comfort, all the understanding. Lord, the, the search for that peace that passes understanding all resides within the covers of this book. And in the personal relationship we have with you. And Father, we would ask and pray. As we leave here today, that we will have a greater burden for those around us. Because, Lord, this world is either very, very foolish, many of them are extremely naive, they have no clue what's coming down the pike. But we do, and Lord, we are supposed to be your messengers. And Lord, with what we have learned and the things that we know, may we. Find those conversations where we can share from the Word of God the things that those who are really clueless need to hear and need to know. Because, Lord, in that, in that number, there are loved ones. There are people that we care about. They may be neighbors, maybe co-workers. But, Lord, they have no idea. And to be quite honest with you, Lord, even among many Christians today, you're not that priority. You ought to be, and you should be. And so, Lord, we pray that as we Pray for even those believers who have just enough religion to think that they're okay. Lord, again, may they find the difference by coming to know you and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to work in their lives along with the word. And Father, we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the honor and the glory for the work that you have done and that you will yet continue to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So don't forget to sign up.